Welcome to another episode of the Big J and Little J Show, where in this episode we'll be recapping Duke Carolina. Duke's coming off a 93-84 to loss at UNC, where Jared McCain led the Blue Devils with 23 points and 11 rebounds. But Duke now unfortunately falls to 16-5 and and 7-3 in conference, Connor, and that is now tied with Virginia, as Virginia was left for dead very early in the season and is now second in the ACC with Duke. But uh, first, before we get into everything, Connor, I'm going to recap last week's episode. So we previewed our, we gave our uh, preview of what Duke needed to do to win against UNC. And also we talked about UNC a little bit. And you said UNC's roles are so precise and clear. And you could see that as Seth Trimble had 10 points off the bench, Harrison Ingram was the key contributor. That was the X factor in the game that stepped up when RJ Davis uh, could not get it going because Duke did a good job defensively. And then we both said that, Duke had to make R.J. Davis be insufficient, and he was five of fourteen with seventeen. In, inefficient. Yeah, inefficient. Sorry, it's I the have, same thing, but insufficient yeah. makes it sound like he's a lesser being. Duke Duke made R.J. Davis inefficient from the field at five of fourteen and seventeen points, and four four of those points came late in the game when Duke was fouling. So really, he only had about 13, 14 points in the game, and then Duke fouled trying to extend the game and he had 17. Yeah, the number I had, he had six points with nine minutes left in the game. Like Duke did Tyrese Proctor did a great job. Like if you if you want to pinpoint maybe the best thing Duke did in this game, it is take RJ Davis out of the equation for the majority of the game. And if you're talking about 30 minutes when their best player only has six points and the best you can do is lead 2-0 and tie it a couple times after that. That's that's pretty poor by the rest of your game plan. Yeah, I mean, that's the one thing about Proctor that he – I think he had just two points in the game, and he dealt with foul trouble in the first half. But defensively, he played hard. And for the most part, Duke's guards played pretty hard. With uh, El- Elliot Cadeau had one of was one of nine and was not a factor, and Duke made him uncomfortable throughout the whole game. R.J. Davis couldn't get it going. It just – Harrison Ingram, who was my next point that we talked about. I said that UNC as a team shot 33% from three. As a team, did not shoot very well outside of R.J. Davis, I should say. They shot 33% as a team coming into the game. And uh, Harrison Ingram goes five of nine against Duke and breaks the camel's back. And the last thing I want to point out was I said the key for Duke was to not give up 12 or more offensive rebounds. UNC had nine offensive rebounds, but when you think about it, they shot 50% from the field. Nine offensive rebounds is a lot of offensive rebounds when you're not missing from the field. And so though Duke did keep it below that number, they didn't give up nearly enough misses to give it more of a chance. So, Connor, you were at the game. You didn't you, you didn't go to your biggest one. Which one was that? Your Armando Baycott. Now, oh, now he's yes. probably going to have. Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. So obviously we were talking about all last episode that Armando Baycott has done nothing this season. He has done nothing the last two games. He had like five and five and it was seven five, and seven. five and nine. Yeah. Okay. Even worse for me. And I said, since we talked about him being a non-factor that he was going to come out and have 20 and 10 against Duke. And I was wrong. He had 25 and 10 against Duke. And so egg on my face, Connor, as I just, I mean, we caught it, though. Like, you know, we were talking about how he was not – he hasn't showed up all year, and then he just shows up in Duke Carolina rivalry and, and just dominates Kyle Filipowski, who we'll go into later in this episode. But, yes, I don't know. I Maybe I was saving that best for last, but, yes, 
Armando Baycott. I, I stole your thunder now. No, owned me. Yes, steal it, please. Uh, I mean, he was he was fired up to play Duke for the last time in the Smith Center. Um, as I wrote, uh, I, I've I've confirmed like it's this was his last one of these games in Chapel Hill. He'll have one more in Durham. We know that's coming four and a half weeks from now. About um, then he's done. He's out of eligibility. He doesn't have some super super secret COVID rule. There's no there's no sixth year exemption for a North Carolina player who may or may not be on an NBA roster next year. Uh, he's done after this. May not. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you know, credit credit is due where it's due, and he had a good game. Um, Carolina obviously liked the matchup down low, getting the ball to him in the low post. They haven't done that that much this year. Um, they they didn't do it at all against Wake Forest when I saw him um, a couple weeks beforehand. I mean, it's it's a different beast, and this is uh, I was I was talking to people the other day. Um, it's five five Duke losses this year. I think two of them you can point at and say, if Duke had a rim protector, not even if Derek Lively had come back for a sophomore season, because that was never happening. That was never part of the equation. If you get an Ernest Uday or somebody else out of the portal, like Jesse Edwards was another name that was kicked around, and um, there's one or two more that. We're, we're rumored without ever entering the portal, and we don't need to go into the specifics there. But uh, if if Duke had one of them, it'd be different uh, defensively. They'd, they'd be able to play the way they played last year, and, and that was really effectively, and they didn't worry about the, the down-low scoring. Um, they, they worry about it this year. I mean, yeah. that's, that's clear as day. Well, and that's the thing, Connor. So I'm glad we're, we'll go right into it about Filipowski because I'm just wrecking all your plans. No, no, this is this is perfectly fine. This is perfectly fine. I this is perfect segue. I get that he is a natural four, but brother, you're seven feet tall. Like you have to be a five. You have to be tough in college basketball. You can be a four in the league and be a five in college. The fact that you can't play the five in college defensively against Armando Baycott, who is a fifth-year senior against at UNC, like, is a red flag for me. Like, you know who a four is in the NBA? Paulo Bancaro. If you can't stop Armando Baycott, you're not stopping Paulo Bancaro at any level of the game. And, like, God forbid he has to get switched on a five in the NBA. Jokic would just take his lunch just like Baycott did. Like, the problem I have with Filipowski is – he had four defensive rebounds against UNC. Armando Baycott had four offensive rebounds. That's that that cannot happen. That yeah. that's awful. And defensively, he this is the fourth game in a row he's had four more fouls. He's done it eight times now this year. In all of Duke's ranked matchups, Kyle Filipowski has been in foul trouble. Has had four four more fouls. He can't guard. Like that's the reason why. John Shire was doubling off of Cadeau because early in the game, Baycott was getting to where he wanted. He caught it on the – didn't even catch it on the block. He caught it outside the block, backed him down, backed him down, got where he wanted and got a layup. And there so was – go ahead. There was one play um, – I'm, I'm remembering it, uh, the end of the court that it was on. It was the second half. But there was one play – and this tells you where, where they were. This was in the second half. This was after they'd seen it for 20 minutes. And Baycott came down and put his put 
put Filipowski in the charge circle and caught a ball on the secondary break. And it was just a layup or a dunk or whatever. It was like, look, I'm not seven foot tall. I'm not even six foot tall, but my understanding of how you play defense in the post is you simply do not let the man just run down the court and post you under the basket. Yeah. Well that, and if you give up that much positioning where you're, where you are, like showed it off and you can't get around. That's just when you pull the chair and do a swim move to try and get around. You don't yeah. try and re give resistance because that's going to help Baycott establish that position. You just pull the chair, do a, a swim move, get around. But yes, to that point, like that's why Shire doubled off of Cadeau against Baycott. And that was the best defense possessions Duke had in the game. Cadeau was one of nine from the field and he did not score. UNC did not score out of the double teams until Hubert Davis had a great game plan late in the second half where instead of keeping Cadeau out there in no man's land, when the ball was entered to uh, Baycott, he had Cadeau go screen away for R.J. Davis because Cadeau's defender is going to help. And then that left Proctor or maybe it was even Jeremy Roach in no man's land themselves because they're getting screened with no help and it left uh, flare screen threes for R.J. Davis. That's just a great game plan by Hubert late in the game, but Duke had 30 minutes of great – double team success against uh, Baycott. It just took two different adjustments when RJ Davis, credit to him, hit those two threes that were big in the moment. But yeah, like you, you're a seven footer. You have to, you have to establish dominance down low. You cannot play soft down low. And that's why Duke has this. That's why the nation outside of Duke views Duke as soft because Kyle Filipowski can't, can't play defense against a big man, and that's got to change. That's that's the whole key to Duke is he's got to find that level of where I said on uh, JJ's podcast that the play where he knocked over Baycott, it should have been an obvious blocking foul on Baycott right in front of John Shire, and it was a no call. Phil Palsky kept the ball alive and then flushed it at the rim. That's the type of motor and energy I need to see out of Phil Palsky on the defense side of the ball every possession. Yeah, the, the most frustrating thing for me about it is, like, it's not a secret that Kyle Filipowski needed to learn how to play center. Like, when when we went through last year and when we got to the end of the year and it was, will Kyle Filipowski come back? Will he come back for or will he go to the NBA? Everybody, you know, I think Brendan Marks wrote about it in The Athletic. Uh, the word was out that, the NBA was not as high on him as you'd think they would be on a seven footer that could shoot and do all the things that he can do because they weren't sure of what position he would be because they're not sure he shoots well enough and is athletic enough to be a four, but he's not big enough. And he, does he defend well enough to be a five? That's their biggest question about him. So I don't, you know, at the time that was all coming out, we still went, under the guise that Duke would have a rim protector and that he wouldn't be asked to play the five. And this is where all the hand-wringing came in over the summer about, wait, uh, is Duke really going to get caught without a rim protector this year? Like, is, are they really going to be have, are they really going to have Kyle Filipowski play the five, move Mark Mitchell to the four and the way it's played out. And, and this is kind of the fear. Like they lost to Arizona because he couldn't guard Omar Ballo and Ryan Young couldn't guard Omar Ballo. And, all the Caleb live, all the Caleb Love shit aside, like that was an Omar Ballo and Kylan Boswell and Pell Larson game. Um, they lose to Carolina because Armando Baycott 
and Harrison Ingram combined for 46 points and 23 or 22 rebounds, something like that. And, and you have no interior defense and, you know, you, you can't, <laughs> we, we might be there in the next couple of years, but as of right now, you can't go out and trade for a center. Like you can't go pick somebody up out of the, out of the deadline, out of the portal. Um, you know, Jess, Jesse Edwards is at West Virginia and they're terrible. They're not going to the tournament. You can't go trade a future five-star recruit for him. So you got to figure it out. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you got to figure it out. And then at this point, you know, with, with college sports, it's funny. It's always, well, shit, this is our biggest flaw right now. So what's the plan to change it next year? And yeah, the, the, the plan is Cooper Flag at the four and either Sean Stewart, Patrick Ngongba, uh, maybe Kamen Malawak. Like you're looking at a whole different cast of characters for that five spot other than Sean Stewart. Yeah, as and that's a good thing for Duke in the future, but obviously that doesn't solve what we're talking about right now, which would be nice. It would, no, it would be like nice but wrinkles. The, but the problem is I don't know how they solve it right now. Like yeah. How Filipowski is who he is defensively. And, um, off, and offensively. And that's what yeah. I want to lead to about that too, Connor, is like he – his box scores – you, if you box score watch like most of the NBA Twitter that I see does, and you're like, oh yeah, 22 on nine of 17, and like, and then he had uh, 26 and 10 at Arkansas on nine of 20. Those are two of the worst games I've seen him play offensively, and I know he's had worse like shooting performances, but in terms of shot selections and just he was uncomfortable the whole game. Like, what what bothers me too with him is when he gets frustrated and it's a long stretch in the game where it's past the media timeout. Like I'm talking like 14 minutes left, which we saw against UNC and he catches on the wing and he's fatigued. He does a jab step and it shoots a three and he has separation from Baycott, but he airballs it because he has no legs and it's like 20 seconds left on the shot clock. That's not a good, that's not a look you can shoot as a guy that's supposed to be a first uh, AC player of the year. You have to be a smart with your shot selection. And then he had he was one of six from three. That was one. He missed four pick and pops wide open. One did he <laughs> hit one did he the, hit one he, the one that he made was the highest difficulty one by far. That's, that's where I'm getting at. Like that's where the frustrating part with Filipowski is is the one that he makes is a step back three. And then he has that fadeaway in the post that he hits early in the game, too, that looked like it didn't have a chance and he hits nothing but net. So those are the flashes that you see. But yeah, there's NBA potential. But when you can't make a simple pop and catch. And you are supposed to be a uh, stretch four, basically, in the league. Like, it made me look, Connor, to his numbers. So, I'm going to give you his offensive numbers right now. He In his last four games, he's two of 16 from three. So, he's 13%. And that's and coming two, off of, that's that's probably coming off a stretch where he was, like, red hot. That's where I'm getting at. So, you take out the three-game stretch where he was 11 of 15. So, he's 35% shooting from three, if you just look at numbers. You take away that stretch where he's 11 of 15 for those three games. That makes him 15 to 58 on the year, which is 26% three-point shooter. You take out that three-game stretch. And, yes, uh, you can say it's nitpicking, but, you you know, you and I love baseball. But, like, that's what baseball is really good at is, like, hey, and these two weeks he's the hottest hitter. But you take away those two weeks and he's hitting the Mendoza line. And that's just kind of like, you know, then you take away that clip. Like I said, last year he shot 28% from three. So you take away those three games, he's 26 and 28 last year and he was 77 from the line last year he's 66 this year you got to be an 80 plus free throw shooter to be in the to have that eye for nba teams and it's just 
I don't know what it is. I know technically all of his numbers are up with points per game, rebounds per game, but so is just like his just so much so is his volume. Like it's just volume scoring. And that's just the frustrating part is he can't make the simple plays, but then he'll make the holy crap, what a shot play. Yeah, I mean it's it's a problem. Um and it's and it's weird to talk about like this about a guy that is as highly regarded and and but that's hopefully that's why you listen to us because we're not just gonna tell you that Kyle Filipowski is averaging what he's averaging and he's not the problem. Um well that's what he, he like who he is right now, Duke is tenth in the country, whatever. I don't ninth, tenth, whatever they are officially now in the top ten. But where he should be or where I expect him to be is why Duke should be top three in the country because he's having pretty much an, a down year and a year where everything's up because I expect more from him to be an AC player of the year type of guy. And I think it's in him. It's just it's got to happen now going into Notre Dame. Like he's got to find that switch to where teams are – like we talked about the Duke doubling because UNC saw on film that he can't guard post players one-on-one. Like I said – he had four games against four ranked teams, four fouls. This is the fourth game in a row on the season. He's had four or more fouls. He fouled out against Clemson where he was two of eight from the field and didn't do anything except for have that fluke and one, if we're being completely honest. So that is like, am I being a harsh critic? Yes, because I expect more out of him and I do believe in him, but it's got to happen right now. The crazy thing too is if you go all the way back to last year's game in Chapel Hill, he actually played the five. Derek Lively was in foul trouble. Ryan Young was in foul trouble. He had to play the five. I remember asking him about it in the locker room and being like, I think I talked to Derek and Ryan about him too. And it's like, you haven't, he hadn't done that all that much since the start of the year when Derek was in and out of the lineup with injuries and confidence issues, but he played the five and played well in Chapel Hill and, and kind of kept Duke afloat in a grinded out game. And that was when, that was when Carolina went to Armando Baycott often. So, yeah, Before, it's, go ahead. It, it's it's kind of confounding, man. I mean, he's got all the talent you would ever want. Like he's he's not an untalented player. He's he is athletic. I, I think we probably made a little too much out of the double hip surgery. Like he's not moving around. Uh, you know, like he's a top five pick. Um, but he is athletic. Like it's. He's a he's a weird player. He's a weird case study, uh, and he gets in his own way so much. He's just – and you can see it. You can't see it in Chapel Hill because we're up in the nosebleeds, but you can see it when Duke is at home. Uh, it's, it's one of the main things I'll be keeping an eye on Wednesday night. Yeah, and one of the plays in the game, I mean, the play of the game, because we will – I promise we will get into the game itself, but I wanted to talk about this first and foremost with Bill Pawski. But the and one that Baycott had in – Baycott did the too small celebration. The whole UNC bench did a too small celebration. Like, I know Phil Pouse is a competitor. That's why he has the fiery streak when he gets frustrated because he does care a lot and it does get it does eat up at him. But this is the type of thing where I wouldn't be surprised if he has that clipped and he has that remembered in his old memory bank. And when they play in Cameron, if he has some retaliation, if all things go the way that he wants it to go and Duke wants it to go, because, I mean, that was – they poked they poked the bear with them doing that and you gotta you gotta respond to that now. Like they called you out. How are you gonna fight back? And hopefully he fights back well against Notre Dame. And then obviously the UNC games at the end of the season. So Duke needs to finish strong in general. But one thing I wanted to talk about too, Connor, speaking of just the bad stuff before we get to the good stuff in the game, 
Duke had uh, double-digit turnovers again, I think 11 turnovers. And UNC had 10 points off of uh, Duke's first-half turnovers. And this is back-to-back games now. Duke had 14 turnovers against Virginia Tech, season high, and 11 now against UNC. Is there cause for concern of what's going on right there? Because it looked like it wasn't even – it just looked like laziness. Like the, the live ball turnovers, besides Ryan Young falling down a couple of times, the Caleb Foster pass to Filipowski, I think McCain had a lazy pass out of stolen. It just seemed like they weren't locked in. The um, I actually thought the 11 turnovers at Carolina were worse than the 14 at Virginia Tech. The 14 at Virginia Tech, yeah, what was my, my count at some point was like, five or six of them were offensive fouls, uh, a bunch of others. You're playing a Monday game after a Saturday game. Um, it's Carolina, I think, out of those 11 turnovers, maybe nine of them were live balls. It was either eight or nine. I, I don't keep it specifically on my notepad, but I do write down the time of a – uh, dead ball turnover, and I don't write down times of live ball turnovers because it's just going so quick. So if I'm if I'm going by that, which I think is fairly accurate, it was eight or nine live ball turnovers. You cannot commit live ball turnovers against Carolina. That's like if there's one common thread between the program from Roy to Hubert, it's that. They want to get out and run. Like they don't offensive rebound as well as they did under Roy. Um, really, the, the, like – two staples of Carolina basketball. I'm sure there's others, but I feel like the two under Roy were offensive rebound and fast break. Yeah. They do one of those under Hubert. Like they do not offensive rebound that well, but they want to fast break you. Yeah, that that is a great point. Because like I said, uh, I told you offline, like I watched this game with a buddy of mine who was a former UNC manager. And that's what one thing he said was they don't crash the glass like Roy used to have them do. Like it was literally four guys are crashing the offensive board and one guy gets back. Now it's more so less lenient towards that. And then uh, so that's a great point. But nine, nine steals UNC had and 19 uh there you go. Turnovers. So there you go. Nine of Duke's 11 turnovers were, in fact, live ball turnovers and 19 points off turnovers. Duke had seven. That's plus 12. Duke lost by nine. So, yeah, like we can nitpick and obviously box scores don't tell you everything, but that really does tell you the story because there were so many pick sixes. We call them pick sixes like they're going the other way and they're scoring yeah. and you, you get behind the eight ball. And that happened so early in the game. And I know. It's like the game's not decided at the 17-minute mark when it's 8-4, to four, but when Duke's largest leads two points because it happened so early in the game, those things add up because you never get the lead back. No, yeah, and as much attention gets paid to, like, the end of first halves and the start of second halves and the end of games, obviously, uh, sometimes we forget how important the, the first few minutes are in setting a tone and kind of establishing the way the game is going to go. And Duke put themselves behind – uh, and the, the, again, the crazy thing to me is, is the first few minutes that really played out really long. Like, I think we were 12 something when the first media timeout was called when the under 16 was, called. and the, the thing about that is at Virginia tech, it was a similar situation. Like we got under the 12 minute mark before the first media timeout. And now that segment of like 15 minutes to 12 minutes left is where Duke really took control of the Virginia Tech game and didn't give it back. And that was really impressive to me that coming off of a short rest, traveling up to Virginia Tech when Virginia Tech didn't have to travel, 
the Duke was the better endurance team. Like they, they had more in the tank and they played through being in a hostile environment in that situation. And as impressive as that was, is as kind of disappointing as it was to see them kind of fade in the, in the first few minutes when there wasn't a stoppage and Kyle Filipowski, we talked about looking like he lost his legs and some lazy mistakes and lazy passes get made and they lead to fast break runouts and, and I think that leads to what stuck in John Shire's craw the most was the loose balls that they gave up, like just getting out hustled to, to loose balls. And, and it's just, it, it's it, it As he said after the game, like you can come into that game and Carolina is good enough that they can beat you if you're on your A game. Mm. Like let's not, let's not diminish that. Like they're that good. But it's another thing to say that about a team that you also don't show up to play and you don't show up to compete hard. Like you're just you're making it so much that much easier for them. Um, that's that's what I think we was most frustrated about. Yeah, there's one in particular. I think the very first loose ball that I saw was uh, Shire basically almost got to half court pointing at the ball because I think somebody for UNC threw an outlet. They weren't paying attention. It rolled diagonally across the floor. You and somebody for Duke dives for it too late. UNC picks it up and then they go about it. And that just kind of was the tone of the game. And we'll get to the biggest loose ball for me uh, as we dissect. But another key part, Connor, you talk about you want to start the game well. You also want to finish the half well, like the last four minutes. And so I want to give you this stretch for Duke because I know like Duke was down 10, down 10 and a half. But I just want to talk about this because I went, I watched film. Are, are you going to break down the part of the game that I wrote about extensively? Probably, probably. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to tag team this. So you already came out with the story, but I will go through it for the podcast. But mine starts with the three-minute mark. So Duke's down 38-28 with three minutes left. And Duke ran a set for McCain. I put it on my Twitter at J-Man's Takes, where McCain makes a great read off of a switch by R.J. Davis. He goes underneath Filipowski rather than using him as a screen, gets a layup, makes it 38-30. UNC misses a three by Cormac Ryan. McCain comes back and step back three, cuts it to five. So in 45 seconds, because that's 214 left now in the game, 45 seconds of five-point game, Connor. Like, it was 10, now it's 45 seconds. You're smiling because you're like, I wrote about this. I know what I'm talking about, too. But I, I had 212 on my on my yellow okay. legal pad for when the McCain three went in. So okay, I, don't well, have it in I don't have it in front of me. Like that's, no, I, you know what? We'll go 213. We'll that's, split how, that's how seared into my brain this, this sequence yeah. is. Yeah, and then obviously the next possession, Duke gets the look they want. Kadoshi's an open three. He misses, but Duke doesn't get the rebound, and who hits the dagger three, Connor? Harrison Ingram from the corner that Cormac Ryan earlier hit a second-chance three uh, about 11 – no, about 13 or 14 minutes earlier in the first half, Cormac Ryan hit a three off a second chance in the same spot right in that right in that corner in front of all the wine and cheesers. Yep. Um, so UNC yeah. goes up eight. Then Flip has a putback dunk to make it a six-point game. Baycott hits a bank hook shot that you just live with as a Duke fan. That just it happens. But then Roach, this is one thing I wanted to touch base on too. He forces a bad shot attempt. He's trying to draw a foul. And you can't do that against UNC because, I again, I tweeted about this. Those are essentially turnovers. When you shoot shots that are out of control and UNC gets defense rebound, they're going to push and transition. And those basically are live ball turnovers. Proctor shot a wild layup, didn't hit any part of the rim. R.J. Davis makes the floater on the other end four seconds later. Mark Mitchell flails. They get a defense rebound score. And then this Roach possession tries to force it. Doesn't happen. 
Kado makes or Duke makes Kado take a contested layup. It was a late switch to where Kado had a straight drive to the rim, but they, Duke did a good job of at least contesting the layup. But Flip loses containment with Baycott. Baycott gets off offense rebound. UNC goes up ten, and that's basically how is a ten point game at halftime when you know Duke looked like they were coming back. Connor five points and forty five seconds, and then UNC gets it right back to go up ten and a half. No, I mean, and where Duke was down ten. At that point, you're just looking to get it down to five going into halftime. Like you're not you're not trying to go on a 10-0 run in the last couple of minutes of the first half. That's kind of untenable if if you do great, but it's not something you're expecting to happen. You 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 expect and you want to get it that get that thing down to four, five, six points. And that's where Duke had it. And they were in position to make it better if they come up with a defensive rebound and come up with a loose ball. And they didn't. Uh it wasn't. And in the in the second half, I think the closest it got it got was seven, and that was like after the flagrant foul or whatever it was. It was in the last couple seconds when it was just a foul game, and yeah. you're just praying and hoping. But yeah, so, I mean that that decided the game to me. Like that sequence to me was the, the single biggest thing that the, the single biggest play, if you will, that decided the game. So my, I'll get to my biggest play because I'm going to talk about the second half too, Connor. So because coming out of halftime, again, we talked about doubling off of Cadeau was the right read for Duke. And so the first possession out of the second half, Duke gets the look. Cadeau catches a pass from the post to the wing, but Jared McCain leaves his feet on a guy that's made four three-pointers all year. And when you do that, that's not what you're supposed to do. Short closeout. And Jared McCain knew it when he left his feet. I could tell by his body language. was like, oh, shit. And Cadeau went to the lane, but he missed. But who gets the offense rebound? Armando Baycott, and he lays it back in. But that's the look Duke wanted because this was UNC's first three possessions out of the second half. Cadeau missed layup. Cadeau missed three. Cadeau missed three. And Duke's Dukes was McCain missed three. Flip got fouled, made one or two free throws, McCain and layup. And then the fourth one made it the largest lead of the game was after the McCain layup, UNC scores a transition three by Ingram to make the lead the biggest of the game, and it was to 12. So Duke had good defensive uh, possessions. You had Cadeau shoot a layup, miss, miss three, miss three, but then, you know, you didn't box out on the miss layup, and then you don't get back on the make layup that you do. Harrison Ingram makes you pay for it. He has a dagger three to put him up 12. And so I watched him film. He had eight, eight or ten of his points came from when Duke was scrambling, whether it was transition or offensive rebounds. Like he's, yeah. he was hot, but that's also comes to it where you got to find him. Yeah. And the, the thing in that stretch that really stuck out to me was uh, Duke. Duke found its groove offensively in those first few minutes of the second half. It didn't mean anything because they couldn't get a stop. Like it just, at one point, it was like Duke had scored on six of its last seven possessions and the lead was down from 12 to 11. Good job. Good effort. Yeah. Uh, the if, moral if, you continue, if you continue on that pace, it's an eight-point loss, and it wound up being a nine-point. The, the the pace didn't keep, but it was a nine-point loss. Like that, you know. Every every coach will tell you um, they, they they couldn't care less about your offensive efficiency if you're giving up points on the other end every time. Yeah, I mean that is. I'm looking at my notes now because I'm looking at my results for the second half because you talked about your key like your play of the game or your moments of the game and this was mine connor was uh where is it yeah duke had it to eight 
with 7.15 left. And that's when they found Jared McCain, who had a great night offensively. And I also said last episode, I just realized, I said McCain needed to have 10 or more rebounds like he did against Virginia Tech. He had 11, or he had 10. But shout out to me for – shout out to me knowing that McCain was going to get 11 rebounds. But uh, And Baycott was going to have 20 and 10. But McCain shoots an open corner three in transition and missed. And that would have been a huge three because it would have cut to five. And I know seven minutes is a lot of time left, but that was also the possession where McCain missed the three to cut to five, and R.J. Davis was out of bounds. Like, he got the defense rebound, his foot's on the line. Like, and I'm not saying that's what cost Duke game. I'm just saying it just happened to be – makes that moment even bigger. Hey, Duke missed the three, could have cut to five. At worst, R.J. Davis out of bounds. You can still get the possession to where you cut it to six or five. Anyways, Duke goes down ten again as it goes back and forth. And then you get a wide-open look for Filipowski. Wide-open three, and that's when he hits all backboard. Wide-open on the right wing. Doesn't hit any part of the rim. And that could have cut to seven instead. That sets up my dagger, Connor. And that's where Duke gets a missed again, missed shot again by UNC. Ingram gets the loose ball, throws it to Godot at half court, and then one more passes it to Cormac Ryan, who hits a three, and the roof blows off the Dean Dome with six minutes left to go up 13. That's yeah. just that sequence right there was just massive, like monumental in the game. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. So I just like I, that's one thing I love about film, like watching film, because in the Twitter verse, you know, everything's clipped. Everything in social media is just clipped now. You just see the Cormac Ryan three, you're like, that's a big shot. But when you pull back the curtain and see what Duke should have done and what could have done, that hurts even more because you realize Duke was right there to make it a game. They just, missed open shots and I know we talked about I think we talked about in the last episode too about how UNC's like yeah they have a good perimeter defense and like Baycott the coach is saying he's playing better defensively than he was like ever coming into the season or this season yeah and Duke shot 26 percent from three but a lot of those three pointers are wide open they just missed shots and that goes to the plus minus that or the goes to the splits that we've talked about multiple times Duke just can't hit it on the road. I don't know what it is. They just can't hit it home or on the road, but they can win in Cameron or hit threes in Cameron. Yeah. Yeah, that's a weird thing. And I don't know. I mean, you're going to have to figure out how to win away from your home building. That's no secret. For sure. And you can win ugly. Like Duke won ugly against Notre Dame at Notre Dame, and they couldn't hit a broad side of the barn. So you can win ugly. It's just 5 of 19, 26% from a three, like – it's crazy because they're mostly all open looks. Roach had a lot of clean ones in the second half that he missed, and then Filipowski had one of six from three like we talked about. And one thing I love about Duke that I've talked about too is Duke still shot 51%. And you're like, well, how does that happen? They had 54 points in the paint, and I clipped it also on Twitter, Connor, that Duke got what they wanted in the two-man game in the pick and roll. Like against UNC's guards and against Baycott in drop coverage, they just attacked Baycott, and Baycott was late, and they – McCain got to the rim easily. I think Roach had a nice little pull-ups, and that's something Duke can really take away from. Offensively, was not the problem. 51%, you score 84 points in college basketball. You should win those games. Yeah, some of that came at the end where the game was getting extended in the last two minutes. Uh, some of the That's why points in the paint, I don't. I kind of take with a grain of salt. How many of those points in the paint came when I mean, UNC was just playing no threes defense? Connor, I mean, still, that's 40 – that would be like 46, 48 points in the paint. I'd give them like three possessions of like garbage time. They they lived in the paint. See, I, I think I think Duke needs to make threes when they see each other again in a month. I think – Oh, for sure. I think that's the biggest key for me for Duke's offense. Like, I, 
I don't know. It, it it didn't feel like it was Duke's best offensive performance by any stretch. I don't know, Connor. I was I was impressed. McCain got to the rim. I mean, he had four or five finishes around the rim layups. Yeah, he's great. He he's well, he's creating around the rim. Court. Like it wasn't like transition. It was like five on five and. I know Roach said after the game like that UNC makes you play two on two and makes things difficult. And I know how much you love Roach's. Uh, I thought about you when I watched Roach say that in the post game because he does get that is a nice nugget that like what makes UNC frustrating is they make you play a two on two, which results in live ball turnovers that Duke suffered. But in terms of looks, I thought Duke got whatever they wanted. And like I said, five of nineteen from three that has to change in Cameron and. Pro- and mathematically, Connor probably will with the Tolman away splits. So, you know, I mean, shout out Jared McCain because he was shooting 24% from three going into this game on the road. And well, I don't know what I don't have it in front of me. It was like three of eight or something like that. Two for six. Two for six. I mean, it's not great, but it's still better than what he was. He shot 50% from the field in general. And that's more than his like 34% from the field on the on road games. So it's, that's what I liked from Duke was the looks they got, but at the end of the day, you give up 90, 93 points. I know Duke was trying to extend the game, but I'm like, if you give them 100 points and the Dean Dome, I'm never going to be able to live this down. No, that, and that's why uh, somebody asked John in the post game if he was happy with the way they played defense on R.J. Davis. It's like, yeah, but it doesn't matter if Baycott and Ingram have 46. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, 46, and they were 18 of 25. It's a season high for Ingram and Baycott hadn't scored at uh, 25 since the opener when he had 25. Ingram had four steals too. That, that, I mean, that is crazy. That's a lot of steals, man. That's a lot of steals. And, and the other part, like I was, I was really intrigued to see who would go big first, like who would go with their bigger lineup and whether when Carolina went with Jalen Withers at the four and Ingram at the three, if that would necessitate Duke going younger Stewart and then Flip and Mitchell. When Carolina went to that, Jalen Withers just stood in the corner. It was a non-factor. And Jared McCain held his own against Harrison Ingram. Like that was that was fine. Um it it just that that didn't hurt you. What hurt you was not being able to stop them, was some shot selection, some missing shots that you should make. Um, and the bench. You think Sean Stewart should have played a little bit more? Like, you know, obviously that's oh, always man. the hot take. Just match or not? Maybe not play a little bit more. I'm sorry. When Duke plays UNC and Cameron, do you think you'll we'll see more Sean Stewart? Just the fact that Baycott just give Baycott a different look since Baycott was 10 of 13 with 25 points. Like, just to give him an athletic big look because I know Ryan Young played 10 minutes and was matched up some against Baycott, but. You know, Sean Stewart just gives a different presence defensively. I would ask my supposed first-round draft pick who's playing center to man up and play Armando Baycott. I love it. And I would double in the post. I would not. Look, man, Sean Stewart might be a good player down the road. Like, he he is athletically gifted. He can jump out of the gym, but he gets in there. It's It's just... You have no idea what you're getting. And as much as we've talked about how John likes playing Jalen Blakes and Ryan Young off of his bench because he knows what he's getting out of them, you you have to apply the vice versa logic of that. 
you have no idea what you're going to get from Sean Stewart. You don't know if you're going to get the version of him that has six rebounds in 15 minutes at Louisville, or you don't know if you're going to get the guy who tries to overcompensate and knocks the ball out of teammates' hands and gives the other team offensive rebounds. You just have no idea. And that's part of it just comes with being a freshman. Like it's not just on him, but I just. No, that's valid. That's valid. And my follow-up question question is Jalen Blakes. You just touched on Jalen Blakes' name. That's who I thought Shire might go to as the first guard off the bench in the second half, just to give a a game where UNC is scoring at will. And the one thing Jalen Blakes can do is play defense and I just didn't know if he'd go back to Caleb Foster. Obviously, he did. But I wonder if Jalen Blakes uh, – I know Duke plays Notre Dame and every other team before UNC. We're getting way ahead of ourselves. But in the follow matchup, and Cameron, if we see Jalen Blakes get at least like a media timeout to media timeout run. Yeah, I would, that wouldn't surprise me. I mean, he's got energy. He's He's got length. Uh, he bothers people defensively. I just – I think that Duke is a little shell shy to play him just because he's such a liability offensively. And you can, you're basically playing four on five when you stick him in the corner because his man can sag off so far. And teams are willing to give him shots because they know if he makes them, then it's a, it's a low percentage shot they're willing to live with. Um, the, the one personnel change that I kind of was surprised by was um, the starting lineup. Like, I thought he would keep Roach coming off the bench, and I thought he would keep Foster in the starting lineup. That's that's what it had been for the last for the previous two games, right? Yeah. The starting lineup that started, I know, like, somebody, somebody told me on Twitter, like, finally, this is the starting lineup I've been waiting to see. And I didn't say anything because I didn't want to be mean, but the starting lineup, uh, Proctor, Roach, McCain, Mitchell Flip, that lineup's four and three this year. Like that's the lineup that's lost at Carolina, it lost to Arizona, and it lost at Arkansas. I don't know what it is about that. Like, again, you know, who starts is not as important as who finishes the game, and it's not important as who gets the minutes throughout the game. But like there is a little bit of correlation. <laughs> when you're talking about the lineup that started three games of the five that you lost, and you know, I, I think I would have stuck with with what had worked. And the lineup that worked was Jeremy Roach coming off the bench. He's still gonna get his minutes. I, I don't I don't take it that your second year captain is gonna have a problem with his role coming off the bench as opposed to starting. Like I don't I don't know that it's an ego thing that Jeremy Roach has to start if he's healthy. So that was the one thing that I, I kind of was curious about. Um there's so much other shit to talk about that and and we don't get we don't get John for 20 minute pressers after every game. So you want to hit on the highlights and that's not exactly a highlight type thing, but that was the personnel decision that kind of confused me a little bit. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense for your, your point of view. Four and three record is kind of crazy. I know obviously there's a lot more like context to it, but that is like a substance, like the seven games worth, like it's gotta be worth noting. And I, to me to go off of that is just the bench, you compare the benches. I mean, Seth Trimble had 10 points by himself, and Duke played – we don't count Sean Stewart's two minutes. Duke played two guys, Ryan Young, Caleb Foster. But you look, they had six points, and both of them had four turnovers, where UNC had three guys off the bench. They had zero turnovers. And all four of those turnovers were live ball turnovers by Ryan Young and Caleb Foster. And that's just – that's so that's eight points to UNC going the other way off of those live ball turnovers by guys off the bench. And 
You know, it's just not saying they got to put up. They're not. They don't need to be Jamal Crawford off the bench for Duke. That's not their role. It's just don't turn the ball over. You know, that's that's that's, that's it. That's it. And I got to plug my one my one of my limited Twitter bits where the sixth man this year is going to be Bobby Portis. Yeah, the, that's your favorite meme of all time. Is I have Bobby. three pictures of that man saved on my computer. Oh my god. I, if I was sharing an office with you and I'd see Bobby Portis's face, I wouldn't know what the hell to do to myself. But Connor, I mean, I think that basically wraps it up. Like we we're not going to do a Notre Dame preview this episode. We're just wanted I just wanted to recap the Duke Notre Dame Duke UNC game. No respect for the fighting Micah Shrewsbury's. Yeah, I mean, this is I know. I was okay. Well, I, this I, no, I literally wrote in the preview uh, that posted to Devils Illustrated just a few hours ago that like the matchup to watch was Duke versus itself because they have to prove the effort plays and the loose balls. And the prediction I put in there is like, yeah, this matters. Like Duke needs to, you know, Notre Dame does some good things. Notre Dame got Duke to play its type of game up in right. South Bend a month ago. Everything about this game is about Duke. Everything about like to me. Everything about this is how Duke responds. Um, that yeah. and then we've we've talked about what Duke needs to do in talking about what they didn't do in their previous game. Hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, that, the one thing I'd be like, all right, tell me your key for a Duke to win this game in terms of like Phil Palski. Yeah. Like, don't don't let Marcus Burton get thirty on you and have some pride. Show some pride. You're back home. It's the first first game of a three game homestand and they're all going to be in the next six days it's notre dame uh bc on saturday and then wake forest in a quick turnaround on monday night yeah and game to game is so funny as being a sports fan isn't it connor because or for you to cover sports for me sports fan college basketball fan because after the virginia tech game or going to the duke unc matchup UNC came off their worst game of the season at Georgia Tech. Duke came off their best win of the season against Virginia Tech, just with the background, the history of Castle Coliseum and Duke. So two different fan bases feeling different ways going in the rivalry. Now that's completely flipped. And some people think the the ceiling's falling on Duke and the season is what it is, but everything's fine. But I agree with you. I think Duke needs to come out hot start. Uh, they're going to come out – don't come out sluggish. And Phil Palski – Phil Powell can go two for five from three. That'd be great. Like, see that you can make multiple three-pointers in a game again. That'd be nice to see as a Duke fan. And, uh, yeah, just cruise against Notre Dame. Don't play with your food and then move on to Boston College. That, there you go. There's the preview from me. Over under first 90 seconds that you see a Duke player on the ground for a loose ball. Oh, I would say the by the second possession. Like, the second one of the first two defense possessions. Yeah. For sure. Maybe even if you don't count offensive possession, like if they, you know, just a loose ball in general. So one of the first four possessions total of the, in the game. I I'm going to – if you see me cracking up laughing on press row after somebody dives for the ball on the tip, as long as they're not diving into my lap on press row, I, I'm going to be cracking up. Well, there you go. There's our uh, Notre Dame preview right there, Connor. Uh I appreciate you coming on, brother, as always. And this is the second episode now on YouTube. So I appreciate everybody that has subscribed so far on YouTube and on Apple and Spotify. Appreciate you guys. Yeah, and we would have been done. We would have been done 10 minutes earlier, but I had to get a shower because now we're on 
YouTube. And when we, when we weren't on YouTube, I could just roll in here looking like a bum. Yeah, uh, you look like, and put on a quarter zip. Yeah, you look like the guy from Charlie Brown. Just always had the dust around him when you used to record <laughs> a podcast with us. But yeah, Connor. Next week we'll recap uh, the week that it was with the Notre Dame game and the Boston College, and then have another preview episode for everybody. But I appreciate you as always, brother. And uh, I'll see you next time. Sounds good. Thanks, Jordan. I love you.